You're listening to the first edition of our Expert Speak series, a live discussion and a podcast from the Peninsula Foundation, where our esteemed experts share their knowledge and experience in their respective fields. Boasting of a vast array of high-level and widely distinguished experts, we are a think tank based in Chennai, bringing different perspectives to national and international affairs. In this episode, titled JNK Current Situation and the Way Forward, we are honored to have veteran Air Vice Marshal Kapilkak share his thoughts. Uh, good morning. This is from uh, the Peninsula Foundation. Uh, uh, today, we are uh, starting off our new series, the Expert Speak series. I'm Air Marshal Mateswaran. Uh, we have as a guest today a very well-known, distinguished person who is also a trustee and a distinguished fellow of the Peninsula Foundation, Air Marshal Kapil Kak. Welcome, sir. The topic today is uh, on Kashmir, the current situation and the way forward. We are all quite uh, familiar with what is uh, happening and what has happened in the past. Uh, the idea is to look at it from a very uh, from an expert's point of view, who's from Kashmir, who's been involved with a lot of uh, you know uh, uh, processes there, uh, and and that is important to understand uh, how we are uh, looking forward to the Kashmir issue. Uh, let me introduce uh, uh, Air Vice Marshal Kapil Kak. He's a Air Force veteran with over three and a half decades of experience, uh, active service. Uh, he's also participated in the 1971 war. Uh, he's been also very uh, well known in uh, academic circles and intellectual circles. He's a regular speaker at uh, military institutions and, and, and the universities. Uh, he's also a founding director of the uh, deputy director of the Center for Air Power Studies in New Delhi. Uh, Air Marshal Kapil Kak has been involved in considerably in track two dialogues uh, for many years, both in dealing with India-Pakistan peace issues and conflict resolution in Jammu and Kashmir. So his experience on hand is phenomenal. And uh, this is something that we would like to, you know, uh, uh, experience from his views on the subject. Uh, the current status in Kashmir is well known. It's been under lockdown since August. Fifth last year, uh, there's a deafening silence. The Article 370 has been abrogated, and uh, a restructuring of the state into two union territories has already been made. And what is the way forward? And what does that impact on the people, on the economy, on the culture? And and of course, does it have a relationship with the kind of problems that we have with China today in the LAC in Ladakh? These are issues. These are some of the questions. And we will start with Air Marshal Kapilka giving his views over the next 15 minutes, and thereafter we will get into a dialogue. So, audios, uh, look forward to your views. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm in fact uh, uh, delighted and privileged to have this opportunity provided by the Peninsula Foundation and its founder, President, and Chairman, uh, Air Marshal Matsi Mathiswaran. Uh, he's already touched upon a couple of the issues which are so germane to Kashmir as we see it right now, as I speak. Uh, but maybe uh, I will just, in a few words, capture a snapshot or an essence of 
uh, where we are as a nation and a constituent part of the state uh, that is uh, Jammu and Kashmir. Firstly, it's a question of contested territories, uh, contested nationhood. Uh, there is sub-nationalism of Kashmir, which has evolved over centuries, colliding with Indian nationalism, including its uh, recently evolved ultra and hyper variants. Those are causing their own problems, but I need to flag them for uh, our distinguished viewers. Uh, there has been, as a result of denial of the constitutional provisions guaranteed to Jammu and Kashmir as far back in 1950 when the constitution entered into force, those denials, the militancy arising therefrom in the last three decades, and of course, uh, the state's approach of uh, uh, employing military means or militarization. And I'd like to uh, draw attention to what Marshal Matsi has just uh, uh, enumerated, last year's uh, uh, audacious uh, application of uh, unproven or unvalidated uh, constitutionally the actions that have been taken on the one hand uh, by the ruling dispensation and on the other hand uh, a sense of disempowerment and fear and hopelessness that you see on the ground. I focus in the presentations in fact uh, those uh, I, I'm only left with about eight or nine minutes will be on the people. How do the people see this action? Because as I said, the clash or the collision is between what the people desire and what the center is willing or not willing to give them. Uh, since uh, security situation is a very, very important consideration, we already have a tension in Eastern Ladakh, Ladakh on the line of actual control but we do not see any dip in intensity on the line of control with Pakistan. Now, the strategic nexus between the two countries vis-a-vis -vis India's rise and India's security and well-being are well known. I don't think uh, this group needs to be reminded of that. But uh, uh, the, uh, the important point here is our security forces and our central paramilitary forces have not allowed the situation to get out of control either in eastern Ladakh or in the last 20 years in JNK. But I, I, I want to uh, I want to stress here uh, that the terrorist threat uh, we saw, if we see last two decades, we saw a very distinct downward trend of uh, the kinetics that we see on the ground uh, between 2001 and say 2013. Uh, I give you just figures that gives an idea of how certain public policy approaches on Jammu and Kashmir can alter the situation so dramatically. And if we follow it up, we will see Kashmir resolved at the end of seven decades of the conflict there. One factor is that of uh, incidents. Terror incidents 
have gone down from 4,522. I'm giving you the precise figure because it's a government figure given in parliament. 4,522 in 2001 to 170 in 2013. If we look at the total fatalities, which is security forces, civilians, and the terrorists, these have gone down from 3,552 in 2001, huge figure, to 135 in 2013. Now, what magic made this happen? This is a dramatic reduction in the matrices of violence, in the matrices of the conflict, which I'm analyzing for you today. Just one: a sense of vision, a sense of grand strategy of dealing with the foremost security challenge that India has faced since independence, and this was done by Atal Bihari Vajpayee in 2002. and was sustained by the party which replaced him its prime minister manmohan singh despite the ideological differences between two polar opposite parties uh, he sustained that process and we saw what is called the four point formula for the resolution virtually a draft for the resolution of jammu and kashmir so i think this is important the problem that we face now is that having not Uh, continued with that dialogue option, whether it was with Pakistan or with our own people and their representatives and all the stakeholders from nearly 2007 onwards. There has been a 13-year-long famine of outreach, of political dialogue, of negotiation and talks with all the stakeholders who are involved in the resolution of a political problem politically. Rather than the military means that the central government has adopted all these years, over a decade now, and more importantly, even the harder muscular options which has been adopted last three years, all these combined together have caused the Kashmiris, in every sense of the term, a terminal alienation, despondency. a despair a sense of hopelessness overriding fear especially after uh, 5th of august uh, uh, 2019 and we see marshal talked about lockdowns unlike the rest of india kashmir went through double lockdown it had a lockdown with a lockdown because the political economic social uh lockdown which came as a result of the of the 5th august 19 action uh virtually paralyzed the state we had nearly 6 and a half million people in their homes for 5 months we had women who were pregnant delivering children on the roadside because they, there's no transportation there's no way to reach a healthcare hospital there's no communication with the doctor no i i'm putting this scene messy dramatically but if you go to the ground in kashmir which i do every month this is the reality the question is do we want to be in self denial do we want to be in self deception or do we want to grapple with the challenge that faces us the impact of the constitutional changes has even been worse because now having 
done one lockdown, the pandemic combined with this has done double lockdown, as uh, Marshal Matheswaran rightly said, it has been a continuous down, uh, lockdown from uh, 4th of August 2019. We have got fed up in the rest of India with the lockdown situation that prevails. Imagine the plight, uh, precarious as that, of the people in Jammu and Kashmir, particularly Kashmir. We've had international ramification. Obviously, the India model, which we were very proud of, a society as diverse as ours, put together in a pluralistic, democratic, constitutional framework. Uh, the world is watching Kashmir with as much of an eagle's eye as uh, Marshal Mateswar in Chennai and I in Delhi are watching. So, I mean, the, we have had, I mean, you read the New York Times, the, uh, the Washington Post, the Guardian, any internationally recognized uh, print media, and you will see how much of uh, a kind of a problem India has received from the uh, hand of uh, international media. Governments are a little more chary because obviously India has, uh, has a potential rising power status and so it is a huge market, so they are a little more careful. Uh, militancy, I want to suggest, uh, five minutes that I have now, um, has been where it is. Unlike the justification which was given by by the center at the time, uh, Article 370 was nullified, 35A was abrogated, state was divided into two union territories. Unthinkable, because under the Indian constitution, no state can be made into a union territory. Opposite is possible, if you read Article 3 mm. of the constitution. So these are all unconstitutional, audacious, not thought through public policy assertions, which have to see the light of the day. Supreme Court will come out with its judgment. Incidentally, I happen to be one of the petitioners against the action taken by the government in the Supreme Court. We are awaiting that. The economy of Kashmir, of course, the rest of the economy of India because of the pandemic has gone through a toss. Mm. But the economy of Kashmir is in complete disarray because it also saw lockdown in the period before, whether it's the horticulture sector, two tourism years, 2019 and 20, 2020, they have evaporated. There used to be a million, million and a half tourists go to the UK. No one, not even in hundreds. You see the horticulture produce has not reached the places where it has to reach. Education sector, healthcare sector. The 4G has not been every person in India, including sitting on a mountaintop in Himachal or in Northeast, has access to 4G. But not the people of JNK. Ostensibly, mm. the whole terrorists can use it. Terrorism has affected JNK for the last 30 years. We didn't, we didn't sort of undo any of the provisions which were available to people. Uh, the media, a very powerful organ of the state, it's called the fourth sister state. The media in Jammu and Kashmir is treated quite separately from the media elsewhere. Uh, the people who are in this forum at this moment, so uh, so dynamically organized by the Peninsula Foundation, would be aware that there is a new media policy in Jammu and Kashmir, which, which puts the media people in fetters. There are instances, some of the most outstanding pro-India media persons, including senior correspondents of national dailies 
have been ordered in the cyber police station and asked to convey as to what is the source of the story. Innocuous, anodyne story, but harassed. You know, and the last, I think I still have two, three minutes. Last is everyone weeps over the plight of the Kashmiri Pandit. Incidentally, I'm a Kashmiri Pandit too. Of course, they were clawed out of their geocultural moorings of millennia long, and it is the most hurtful thing for an individual to be taken out from his moorings, his or her moorings. But that has happened. It's very painful. But it is an utter shame for the people of India and the governments we have elected over the last 30 years that they have, they have done zilch for the Kashmiri Pandits. Zilch, except to say that they must return. They have created no conditions for their return. But for Dr. Manmohan Singh, in 2012, he promised in a public gathering in addressing in Punch that he will do something for the Kashmiri Pandits. What has been done is to creation of a space between livelihoods and living space. I think that that linkage has to be seen. People will not go to Kashmir on a holiday forever. I'm talking about Kashmiri Pandits. They will have to have jobs. They will have to be entrepreneurs. They have to be equipped for that. Jammu and Ladakh, my last two points, uh, have been a case of hit wicket. Jammu has a large presence of right-wing forces. So they have always had, and I can explain during question and succession if it's necessary, had a problem with Article 370. And primarily because the King's Party, Maharaja Hari Singh's Party, which was then Hindu Prajaparishad, transformed to Hindu Mahasabha, transformed to Jansang, and then became Bharatiya Janta Party. So they have a large presence here. Even they are now rethinking whether they took the right step because as a result of the application of the domicile law in Jammu and Kashmir, the maximum demographic change will take place in Jammu and it will deny locals the opportunity to get jobs which were promised as far back as 1927 by Maharaja Hari Singh by starting what was then the equivalent of Article 35A. Nothing more. Similar is the plight in Ladakh. Ladakh also is rethinking, and Ladakh we always believe is Buddhist. Uh, regrettably, that's not the situation. Half of Ladakh is Kargil. Population-wise, also half of Ladakh. Kargilis have nothing to do with abrogation of Article 370. They are so much in sympathy with the situation that the Jammu Kashmir people, particularly the Valley people, are facing. I think Amarshal Mateswaran, uh, if nothing else, you'll have to be, give me good points for sticking exactly 15 minutes. Over to oh, you. Thank you, sir. Excellent. And, and that's a uh, you know, very, very uh, incisive uh, you know, overview that you've given. And uh, in the context of, I think, very important point that you made is uh, the constitutional validity of uh, uh, you know, declaring a state into a union territory. I think that's a very, very important you know, point. And that, we do hope the Supreme Court looks at it and comes out with a decision quickly on that and a judgment quickly on that. But having said that, uh, what is the solution for the kind of problems that we've had for the, over the last almost half a century? And if I may go back into a little bit of uh, you know historical roots, I think the foundational doctrine of India is based on you know secularism and freedom of you know 
practice of religions and faith and belief for individuals. And uh, unfortunately, the kind of politics that we practiced all along has been completely opposite of that. So well, isn't the major problem uh, you know, germinated in Kashmir, apart from the dispute between India and Pakistan, using religion, and that has vitiated the whole process, it has vitiated the whole politics, and all the government, irrespective of which parties have been in power, have not had the guts to actually take a very, very strong stand and abrogate people who play with, use religion as a card to actually vitiate the atmosphere. Has that been done earlier, probably we wouldn't have come to this stage. But now that we've come to this stage, uh, was there any other way out other than you know abrogating 370 and removing you know the people to be able to play and with the religious card and uh, and as a solution integrate the country uh, state fully into the country's mainstream of course the declaring union territory is a different issue completely but do you think was there any other way out to move forward in this uh I deliberately didn't talk about the way forward because I thought I would be uh, situation, situating the appreciation rather than appreciating the situation. Uh, I think the way forward, you made a point, I'm sure there are others who will intervene and I will bring in some points how we can move forward. I think it was unwise strategically, politically, constitutionally uh, to take the actions which were taken on 4th of August 2019. I don't have to belabor the point. I've already made those points. After all, if Vajpayee and Manmohan Singh only 10 years before uh, could virtually resolve the issue of Kashmir uh, through the four-point formula, through uh, outreach by center to the multi-level, uh, multi-track uh, dialogue process in the valley, as also activating the India-Pakistan situation because that Pakistan is a factor. We are once again in self-deception and self-denial that it's a purely internal problem. But if we see the documentation of the Ministry of External Affairs and the speeches that have been made by our leaders, Pakistan is a factor. What kind of a factor it is, is for us to debate and how we negotiate. Uh, on the issue of religion, uh, Marshall, uh, uh, I see that much more in the rest of India than in Kashmir, e except for the period uh, 1990, when, yes, uh, the, uh, the militants or terrorists of that time were inclined to believe uh, that religion is the most fundamental point and they must take a religious route, and that was the JKLF then aided by Pakistanis proxies, uh, which is jaish e Muhammad and Lashkar-e-Taiba. That is why the Kashmiri funded exodus took place, because they were targeted only for that moment. But if you see the record in the last, uh, say, 15 years, uh, there are about 10,000 Kashmiri pundits, Hindus, all over the valley, mm. in locations which are numbering 202. They're, they're mixed up with the rest of the public. Nobody has done any harm to them. But I don't want to comment. I think you and our uh, distinguished people who are on this uh, connectivity now, we've seen the record in India last four years. Hmm. I don't have a record from the uh, Crime Control Board of the Government of India. 
of all that matter of Ministry of Home Affairs figures. The lynchings, the targetings that have taken place is all because religion is a factor in polarizing communities. And by polarizing communities, you meet the ideological foundations on which uh, some of the dispensations are made and structured and mm. founded. And when you do that, it comes very handy for electrocracy, which is what democracy in India has become. We are only talking about which is the next election and which is the public policy issue that I need to bring forward on the table. It's linked there. Oh, Bihar is coming. So I must concentrate on Sujit, that uh, actor in uh, Mumbai. If something else is happening somewhere, Hathras rape, now this will affect UP, so I better handle UP. So regrettably, what founding fathers, as you said in your opening remarks in this question, had sought for India, I'm afraid is all unraveled. We will have to reinvent a new India for a new world. Because unless we go back to the constitutionalism, the secularism, the pluralism, the federalism, which is guaranteed in the Indian constitution, unless every educated citizen of India swears by the constitution as he or she gets out of the house in the morning, I'm afraid we are going to fail. Because, because societies which are transforming from conservative agrarian societies to modern nations, always go through this huge turbulence, whether it was Russia in the Russian Revolution, France in the French Revolution, Chinese in the Cultural Revolution, the Great Leap Forward, America in the Civil War. All these are nothing but manifestations. We have to be very careful in terms of the policies they evolve, implement, and follow up in our day-to-day -day public life. Absolutely. I think uh, you know, the importance of federalism is, uh, you know, uh, that's the uh, nerve uh, of the Indian, you know, union. And if that is under threat because of over-centralization, uh, you know, that's a, a thing that we need to be very, very worried about. Uh, let me come to the uh, issue in the lockdown, particularly as we mentioned, it's, it's been unfortunate that the state has been under lockdown for more than a year now because of the political lockdown and followed by the pandemic lockdown and the privations that the people have gone through the economy is taken ahead kashmir is dependent the economy is dependent on two major as you pointed out on uh, major uh, industries one is the tourism the other one is horticulture and both have taken a massive hit the schools have locked down for more than a year so how do you think this is going to impact even if the government wants to open out and 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 uh, as the government claims that much of focus will be on development and people employment will be generated there's a, a uh, the chamber that has already you know mentioned that there's a 4 lakh job loss over the last you know uh, one year period and how is this going to play out in terms of economic development and people's you know aspirations uh, as i mentioned uh, economy is in complete disarray uh, when I, on my visit to Kashmir uh, with uh, with a group of concerned citizens, we we talked to hundreds of people, and uh, the points I want to highlight what you just said 
it is the business community it is a shopkeeper it is a trader it is the shikara wala is the houseboat person is the owner of a hotel it is persons who have orchards whether apples or cherries or apricots or uh, pears uh, handicrafts some of the orders are not possible unless you have 4g Kashmiris have been denied 4G till today. Until 4G is restored, as you said, the problem of the students, it is horrible. The students would come to uh, Delhi from Srinagar and then do online work on 4G. Can you imagine the difficulties that have gone through? I think in, uh, the central government will, uh, it's aware of what the problems are. I would not say that they are indifferent, uh, but they, they're not inclined to move on that pathway because it is part of a larger ideological framework which undergirds the party structure of the ruling dispensation. Uh, I don't want to go into details. I think everyone here is wiser than me. They would understand the point I'm trying to make. It's a far larger issue. The second is that Kashmir is seen as it's a Pakistan-initiated problem. Kashmiris have no role. They are slaves of Pakistanis. Nothing is farther from the truth. If I give you figures of just a day, 2018 out of 257 terrorists, 142 were Kashmiris. 2019, just last year, and these are Ministry of Home Affairs figures, out of 152 terrorists who were killed, 120 were Kashmiris. So you see the, the result of the alienation, and why that alienation? Political, psychological, emotional, the sense of disempowerment, sense of discrimination. That I am not what a person of Bhopal or a person from Kolkata or a person from Patna is. So unless there is this is what I am saying, uh, we are a great democracy. Unless the government takes the path of reaching out, unless it starts to talk to the youth, talks on multi-tracks, as I said, mm. or multi-levels, yeah, I am afraid the rest of the problems are not difficult to uh, resolve. Uh, you had talked about union territories in the act in when the announcement was made in the parliament. Home Minister Amit Shah had said, "Once normalcy is restored, uh, we will restore uh, the full statehood of Kashmir." What prevents the government? In what way is Kashmir a fire in terms of violence parameters or any other matrices which should bother India? No. Kashmiris have shown maturity. They haven't come out on the streets out of fear of the soldiers who are in every street. They have come out of a deliberate strategy. In fact, Emashul uh, Mathesuaran, they have strategized better than the central government has. Because the central government thought bloodshed will take place in every street. They were preparing for violence which could lead to five to 7,000 casualties. Nothing like that. Because Kashmiris chose the Gandhian way. Hmm. They said we will do self-imprisonment. Some of the lockdowns are imposed by people. people. We will not come. <laughs> Secondly, civil mass civil disobedience. I mean, hmm. that is what we see. I don't see Kashmiris now uh, taking on, although more uh, youth are joining 
militancy, but whether they will actually use militancy because there are no weapons, there is no training, especially in South Kashmir, which is the center of gravity of militancy. North Kashmir is better, but unfortunately, North Kashmir doesn't have it doesn't gel with the with the impulses of militancy and terrorism. They are more peaceful and more inclined towards uh, a normalcy uh, situation. So I think this is my view is that the government will have to put its act together, uh, roll back some of the very draconian moves that have been made in the in, in the state, whether it is 4G, whether it is uh, domicile law, whether it is the question of uh, delimitation commission. Uh, uh, delimitation commission is against constitution again. It lays down what are the parameters for delimitation. Now, if our ruling government is taking actions which are undemocratic and unconstitutional, I don't think I am empowered enough to critique the government. Uh, their actions speak for themselves. Hmm. Absolutely. One of the uh, most uh, important uh, you know, uh, issues is about politics. And we know, uh, you know, the how for uh, uh, messy politics have also been cause for the kind of problems that we have in the past. But notwithstanding that, the the uh, post-August 5th, the political process in Kashmir has been completely brought to a standstill, with major leaders in being uh, virtually under house arrest for such a long time. And uh, the uh, process of you know uh, um, getting back to a vibrant democratic process of vibrant politics is uh, is is completely in disarray at the moment uh, what do you think is going to happen now when we revive or attempt to revive the process will there be a, a serious problem in the political process that is one question and second the uh, issue of having you know restructured the state into union territories have you played into chinese hands with the kind of track record that they have done in Xinjiang and Tibet? Uh, we've drawn the attention away, and they've uh, the problem that we have now in the dark and LSD seem to actually be played into the Chinese hands uh, through this process. Is that true? Uh, uh, no, I, I would, uh, with your permission, uh, uh, disagree with you on just one or two small points that came in your narrative. The first is the examples aren't similar. Xinjiang. We have not questioned that Xinjiang is, is a part of China. But JNK is an issue. It is an issue between India and Pakistan. It's an issue between the central government and the people of Kashmir, uh, primarily because the central government has gone back on the promises which are enshrined in the constitution of India. Uh, the second point you made, I think, is very valid, extremely valid. In fact, that is of biggest concern to me now. Uh, because the revival of political process is conditional on what the government is willing to give by way of democratic and federal impulses which have been snatched away from the Kashmir. You made a great point, sir, about the political leadership. The political leadership, which was kind of uh, in many ways ostracized, was the political leadership which brought Kashmir to India in 1947. These are the people who have held the flag of India uh, in every forum, national or international. 
uh, whether it was Geneva Human Rights or it was the United Nations, who led, who were part of the Indian delegation, Farooq Abdullah, his father Sheikh Abdullah, they were holding the flag. And now you uh, you put them in the same league as the hardliners, as the separatists, as the terrorists. So you can do no greater damage uh, than uh, dynamiting the foundation of the mainstream, moderate, pro-India leadership. And now that is why they feared this on 4th of August uh, uh, they, uh, last year, they issued out the Gupkar Declaration. What was it about? They feared what was going to happen. And they said, we will fight hard to retain the position that we have in the Indian Union based on Article 370 and the associated article. On 22nd of August this year, almost a year later, they have reiterated those uh, uh, those provisions. And I want to share with the group, which is uh, part of our deliberations, that the people who issued the declaration and who are the mainstream parties are approximately 60 out of the 87 members who were elected in the last election. So do we need more? Uh, evidence of the majoritarian support of the causes that they are outlining before the center. So I, I think uh, I think this is an area which is extremely challenging because having done something without impacting your uh, outstanding strat strategist yourself, uh, uh, you know that if you take an initiative which you haven't think thought of, the consequential impact will be unmanageable. That's what we are now. Absolutely. Before we get your views on the way forward, let's take a few questions. There's one from Kanchana Ramanujam. Uh, sir, are we to believe that there is no influence of uh, early hadiths and other hardline groups on the ongoing radicalization of the valley, especially their infiltration of the schools? Kanchita has made a very, uh, very valid point, and this is something which must concern us. Uh, first and foremost, the process of radicalization began as far back as 1980, when Iranian revolution took place, and the Saudi Arabians were very worried whether they would also face a similar predicament sooner or later. So that is the time Saudi Arabia went all over the world with a program to Islamize societies, tell them the values of Islam, and one of the products of that was Osama bin Laden. So there is a there is you can you can anchor the impulses uh, or the points that Kanchna has generated. Kashmir was not left out of it. It also in the initial stages of the insurgency in 1990 um, impacted the movement itself. I made that point earlier, especially JKLF, although a very moderate group was influenced by Pakistan, which in turn was influenced by the Saudi Arabians and the Taliban in Afghanistan. And the result is, yes, there is radicalization. It has increased in recent years. There were two dozen mosques of the Ali Hadith or the what is called the Wahhabis in 1990. Today, there are about from 2000, two dozen is gone to about 1,500. So the Kashmiri Sufi society, it, it, it came in through changes in religion, 
but the speciality of the identity of Kashmiris was sustained uh, through uh, the Sufi Shaivite uh, mm. interlinkages. And that's what made them, you know, uh, joint support for each other's shrines, for example, was one factor. Uh, uh, pursuit of knowledge and engagement with every view. This was the Sufi Shaivite thing. A deep pride in the valley's history of religious and philosophical inquiry as the foundation of a plural society. This is what Kashmir was about. So the central government's aim, instead of strengthening that, it is taking actions by which Pakistan gets strengthened. As you mentioned, China finds a new place. Kashmir is now trilateralized because Chinese officially are saying we do not accept the 5th August 2019 uh, bifurcation and creation of a union territory of Ladakh, uh, which we claim as part of ours. Again, if we are doing a, uh, discussions with Chinese from 1993 onwards, 1996, 2005, 2015, and the various summits uh, Prime Minister has both in, in Gujarat as also in Tamil Nadu and Varnapuram, uh, what are we then talking about? So I'm afraid the actions uh, that have been taken in the recent times are only going to increase radicalization. But I want to assure people that Sufi Islam is still strong in Kashmir, even as younger people who are alienated tend to take the more radical line. That's excellent. What you said about Sufi Shaivet interaction and uh, forming the core of Kashmir is, I think, absolutely valid. And that's what needs to be strengthened. We have another question from Satish TK. How relevant is the popular Insaniyat? Kashmiriyat and Jamburiyat slogan today, given the political climate of JFK, is it alive or is it seeing a painful death? No, the I mean, uh, I don't want to go into expressions and idioms which can convey different types of uh, kind of meanings. The fact is, as I said, if Sufi Islam is still continuing, if multiple religions, if we go back to 300 BC, Emperor Ashok named what is today Srinagar. That Srinagar mm. name came from Emperor Ashok. In, in the 100 BC or thereabouts, the Panishs organized a Buddhist, global Buddhist council. We are talking about globalization today. I am talking about globalization 2000 years ago in Kashmir. And then we see the evolution of Buddhism to Hinduism to Islam. But that character of Jamhuriyat I wouldn't say Jamhuriyat, Jamhuriyat is a recent phenomenon, but Kashmiriyat and Insaniyat remain. That human, it is not a tolerant uh, society, it is a loving society, it is an accommodative society. I have lived in neighborhoods of multiple faiths and it is amazing how, how uh, festivals were celebrated together. It, it, it's done even today when Kashmir has gone through so much. I want to give you one instance that in Sufi mosques today, there is a concept called darud sharif At the beginning, there is praise for Allah and the Quran. And this would interest uh, Satish Sahab a great deal. It begins with, which I just said, darud sharif What is this? This is singing of Allah's praise in Sanskrit hymns 
in Arabic. It's happening today. Wonderful. So all that you say in Saniyat, Kashmiriyat and Jamhuriyat is under attack, but it is alive. And we need to keep it alive. If we want to resolve Kashmir issue strategically, that's what we need to do, Satish Saab. Thank you for asking that question. Wonderful. Absolutely. Now we have Vishal Badri's question. I question the constitutionality of abrogating 370 and 35A by suspending state apparatus and giving agency to a central representative seems convenient as it coincides with the center's agenda. Well, I think we've already spoken much about that. Go ahead, Sophios. Uh, you know, uh, this is, I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> I'm basically a flyer. <laughs> but being involved in Kashmir, uh, virtually at ground zero for two decades and more, uh, first and foremost, the constitutionality of dividing Kashmir into two union territories. I just mentioned, you don't need to be a lawyer, just have to open the constitution and you will see Article 3 doesn't permit it. The center has chosen not to delete Article 370 altogether for the simple reason that if it deletes that, Jammu and Kashmir is then no more a part of India. Because Article 1 says, the India will comprise Maharashtra, Gujarat, Maharashtra, whatever, whatever, Jammu and Kashmir, and there is a bracket subject to Article 370. So what the center has done, rather astutely, it has used Article 367 mm -hmm. to amend Article 368, again prohibited by the Constitution. You can't, you can't have one article amend another article. Uh, lastly, any action regarding Kashmir had to be done by the State Legislative Assembly. That State Legislative Assembly is now, as per the changes made, represented by the governor, who is also the state of Jammu and Kashmir with the Council of Ministers who don't exist. If you see, I'm reading out, I don't have the time to explain every bit and piece. So in other words, if you have to make changes, to Jammu and Kashmir, you can't make it or any state without consultation with the Legislative Assembly of that state. Whether it's Tamil Nadu, it's Karnataka, it's Maharashtra or Jammu and Kashmir. It's been done. And how is it been done? The legislature will be represented by the government which comprises the lieutenant governor. And in fact, then the lieutenant governor takes his own permission to take actions which is required to take as a lieutenant governor because there is no assembly. So uh, what uh, uh, Vishal Sabi said, as I agree entirely with you, this is a charade. Uh, if the Supreme Court has to play with the due utmost respect for the Honorable Supreme Court, if it has to read the Constitution strictly as per the letter and spirit of the Constitution, Whatever actions have been taken on the 5th of August 2019, to my mind, to my limited mind, as I said, I'm not a lawyer, uh, will be declared ultra vires of the Constitution. Thank you, sir. Here's another one. Uh, is there any distinct pattern of cross border infiltration post August 5th? Kanchana, uh, you see, you have to look at uh, pattern is a function of geography. Mm. And uh, geography is a function of 
where the plains are and where the mountains are, and where are there are routes of ingress and egress. We see that bulk of the uh, infiltration uh, is in the northern areas, Kupwara, Gudes, uh, that area, because uh, because the southern part doesn't give any approaches because there is Pir Panjal range there, and Punch and Rajauri and other areas are across. So uh, infiltration has been countered a great deal, and here I want to compliment the security forces. Because there is a three-tier grid, which is which has got technologies, which has got human face, and which has got structures to ensure that no infiltration takes place. Now the Pakistanis have chosen the instrumentality of coming in without weapons, and weapons being supplied through either UAV drops or some other ways. So this is to ensure that they can have a go through. Uh, those routes are still active. Far more crucial, I'd like to suggest, is not so much the infiltration. Infiltration level is going up. That has been said by the army chief now and previous army chiefs. But it is the cross-border violation, which is a desperate means because countering the Indian uh, counterinsurgency grid, the best way is to keep firing at the Indian post so they get distracted and they can stick in the infiltration. Uh, but uh, this is something which the security forces and the top military levels will have to be very, very alive. Uh, that's important. Thank you, sir. And uh, uh, as a final uh, you know, overview from you on the way forward, let me put this question. Uh, both 370 and 35A, are they irreversible? One. And second is, what's the way forward? Because we need, it, uh, if I may say, Kashmir is the jewel of the Indian Union. And if you need that to be you know, looked after well and integrated well in our uh, you know, culture, civilization, and, and political process, what's the way forward? And are we? Given the kind of developments that both Pakistan and China, China's collusion is taking place around, uh, you know, uh, isn't there a bigger issue in terms of security, in terms of integration, uh, as a big challenge to the political leadership in tackling this? The only way forward, uh, Marshall, is uh, thinking strategically and thinking in terms of a larger vision of where do we see India in the decades ahead. Uh, I'm afraid uh, it will be very difficult for the current government uh, to jettison its ideological baggage. And that jettisoning of that baggage will cost it in electoral terms. And for any politician, uh, the way forward is smelling power and opportunity to get to form a government and dispense patronage. So I'm afraid on the way forward, uh, I'm not. I'm not too positive. Uh, when we look at the JNK side, uh, political mainstream would be the right way to move forward uh, in multiple ways. Let's not forget. Only two years ago, two years and two or three months back, we had a coalition government of the ruling uh, political dispensation and the uh, People's Democratic Front led by Mehbooba Mufti. And that was jettisoned 
in a jiffy because mm-hmm. the larger purpose was to punish the kashmiris now with with tensions on the line of actual control with there being no dip in the insurgency or cross border violation or terrorism and its proxies by pakistan uh, we will have to do our sums all over again first and foremost restore statehood you, we don't need that's a easily it's, it's low hanging an announcement get be made in, by the home minister and that can be done although it goes against the act which has been introduced by parliament it can be done through an ordinance secondly release all the political leaders we still have a former chief minister who is who is under preventive detention uh, in a sub jail which is her home third is uh, restoration of uh, uh, article 370 will be very very tough for the government because it is it's a question of political legitimacy mm-hmm. uh, i realize that although although i know it needs to be done but here the way forward is an outreach go to mm. the stakeholders and say that they have a consultative process and as a result of this consultative process we are doing some marginal changes to reflect the aspiration political aspiration of the people of kashmir fourthly without blinking blinking an eyelid restore forge it is causing i give you an example a marshal mateswaran there are seven eight year old children who are cursing their parents from dawn to dusk mm. as to why they denied the opportunity to play games on their uh, on their phone every child in india is That's playing right. it's a, it's an issue of humanity it's an issue of addressing sensitivities of children they are the future of india tomorrow and would mm. they not remember that they were denied this right by the center will it not remain in their dna for the next three decades this is a question we have to ponder over the new media policy has to be rolled back because it, unless we encourage all shades of opinion to be freely and peacefully expressed as in rest of india why make an exception of kashmir mm. popular government is the need of the hour it is a brahmastra i would say the silver bullet for resolving the jnk issue but no people will come to join the electoral exercise unless they have the structure in place on which they will say we will fight our cause with the center to restore peace stability and brotherhood in the valley of kashmir which is the key point i mean this is equally uh, applicable to uh, the people in jammu and ladakh i think i would like to uh, conclude on this point and say other ways forward will come you have to have a torch with you once you get on to the way then you will have to use the torch and find other ways which will take you forward otherwise as of now and i don't want to uh, conclude on a negative it's an oxymoron because there was a way forward on 4th of august 2019 then you go into the pits absolutely pit. you can't go below that and now say ask yourself what is the way forward what is the way forward when you're sitting in a pit climb up <laughs> absolutely thank you sir and uh, i think uh, what you said is if i sum it up uh, 
restore the dignity of statehood to the region, to the states, and bring the political process life back again. You know, bring discussions, bring uh, talking with people, get the people into play. I think that's what probably will, uh, you know, address the issue, at least as a starting process. And thank you so much, uh, Marshal Kapil, sir. It's been a wonderful uh, exposition for you. With all your experience, with all your uh, knowledge on the subject, I think it's been a wonderful, you know, session for us. And this being the first session for Peninsula Foundation, I think it's been a good start with you. Uh, I thank the audience for having, uh, you know, been with us. And uh, we do look forward to more such, uh, you know, expert speak series sessions. Thank you so much. And uh, Jayhant, all the best. Thank you, Marshal. That's it on this episode of our Expert Speak series. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. You can also visit our website, www.thepeninsula.org.in to learn more about us and our events. We hope you'll join us next time for more.